0: The pinball network is online. Launching Top three with Orby. Welcome back to episode five of Top Three with Orby. Today we're going to be talking about the top three young guns in pinball design. Now, I'm not talking about Tim Sexton, Steve Bowden, and Raymond Davidson. Uh, that's an episode uh, for the future. Those, of course, are the top three young guns in rules and or coding of pinball. But today we're going to be talking about the designers, the ones who lay it all out on the line. The ones who, even though they're working with a huge team of people, if the machine isn't up to snuff, they're the ones that get crucified on the pin side and social media crosses of today. So let's start at the beginning and this was the first of the three designers here to release a pinball machine and that would be scott denisi so scott denisi uh has released now two machines with spooky pinball and the first of which was total nuclear annihilation also known belovingly as tna this was the first non-themed game to sell out In over a decade. Probably, I was trying to think about it. I know Dialed In was not themed uh, by Jersey Jack Pinball, of course. um, Absolutely love that game. For me, personally, I don't need the game to have a theme. But, I know that most pinball companies would prefer, because it's just slightly safer to already have a built-in audience, right? That being said, TNA sold out. They sold all 500 of them. And did they even do an extra run, maybe of 100? I'm not sure. But... It's hard to get your hands on a TNA. They don't come up that often. They hold their value very well. They have something very interesting in there that I don't know if it will become a Scott Denisi signature, so to speak, in the future. But for this particular game, um, it worked out very well. And it had a co-op mode. Now, as far as I could tell from doing some some research and chatting with some other pinball nerds, the last game to have a co-op mode was 1985, And that was Gottlieb's tag team. Now, tag team, of course, worked a little differently. It worked like a tag team. So I believe players 1 and 2. You could either set the game to a four-player game where you all played solo and just tried to get the highest score. Or you could set it up where uh, players 1 and 2 scores were added up to players 3 and 4. Or maybe it was players 1 and 3 were added up to 2 and 4. Um, so not exactly the same as the co-op mode, of course, on TNA. The co-op mode allows you to work together to blow up all nine nuclear reactors. Something that I would say was very unique and interesting about TNA is that it was one of the first single-level games that we had seen since... I'm just trying to think, and I don't know if that little tiny platform on Fireball Classic from 1984 counts, but like I can't think of another machine... That came out really since the 70s. That was a single level. Um, I guess there was some street level games maybe that were coming out in the early 80s. Um, But of course, Total Nuclear Annihilation did it better. Uh, Perhaps it's arguable that TNA is the best single level pinball machine of all time. And this is not arguable. This is straight up fact. And you can ask any music nerds out there. Total Nuclear Annihilation made music and sound and integrating them together with the gameplay, more important than it's ever been in pinball. And since then, the bar has been raised. And that's what I love about all three of these pinball designers, is they are really continually pushing the envelope, raising the bar. I know it's a little hokey to say, but it is the truth. Um, You were even able to purchase uh, the soundtrack for TNA at one point. Wish I had got my hands on that. Until then, nobody was running out and making soundtracks of pinball music. They just weren't. First of all, most of the music in a lot of the theme games was already copywritten. And what I love so much is that the real difference here is Scott DeNisi, of course, did have a team of people working with him at Spooky, but of course, Spooky is much smaller than Jersey Jack and uh, only a fraction of Stern. So, Scott DeNisi not only did all of the design. All of the rules, I believe he helped with the coding or did the coding. And even more importantly, he did all of the sound. And that has never really happened before. So when you have the same person doing a whole bunch of things on the exact same machine, you're guaranteed to have better integration than just separate people working on it. Am I right? That's how it typically tends to work out. And that was the case. When you played TNA, even though... There, you know, you don't have nostalgia like you would with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or even Avengers Comics. You don't have the same nostalgia factor with TNA. But how it got you by nostalgia was just that loud, thumping electronic bass that was kind of known for the electro synth pop end of 90s, early 2000 feel. Then he brought back all the colors that you would see in like a a say by the bell, you know, 90s type of rendition. And uh the combination of the music, the sound, the single level, the game was quick, the game was brutal, the game was fun. Uh, another thing it was known for is the Denisi lock. Now, there had been other locks like this in pinball, just not for quite some time. And what happened with the Denise lock is you have to hit down a drop target, and then the ball, after going up into the lock, gets locked back behind the ball, and then you've got to do it again. We saw something similar to this in uh, Scott Denisi's second game, Rick and Morty. Now, let's talk a little bit about Rick and Morty for a bit. Rick and Morty just came out last year in 2019, and Rick and Morty is, as far as I could tell from the limited research I did, the fastest pinball machine to ever sell out anywhere, ever. And that's saying something, because Rick and Morty isn't exactly what you'd consider an A-tier theme. I mean, they do have millions of fans, but they don't have the same type of fan level that you would get in an Avengers or a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Or even something like Wizard of Oz. Like, right? Like, like my my, my Oma. Shout out to my Oma all the way from Holland. She's living here now, but of course. Um, she absolutely, you know, recognizes Oz. where she probably doesn't know what an affinity... Avengers Quest is Rick and Morty also was known for having this really cool electro synth kind of very bassy background with lots of beats and it's been blended so incredibly with the music that you don't know where the show music starts and Scott's awesome bass begins and uh or ends I should say so that is certainly something that I think is a signature for him um also I've noticed his machines so far have more than two flippers, which is something you'll notice with all of these young guns is they like to have more shots and more flippers. Uh, I think it was very courageous of Scott to not include a single solitary ramp there on his first machine. And the fact that it sold out faster than any machine with a ramp, or sorry, not, not that uh, TNA sold out fast, because it did sell all 500, but I know it took some time. But the fact that you were able even to sell out a machine from a brand new designer without a theme with no ramps, that in itself is a little bit of a pin miracle, if I don't say so myself, okay? So, now, I will say this, there's a slight asterisk here. Of all the top three young gun pinball designers, I think we're going to see the least machines, and the least often, uh, from Scott Denisi, for a couple reasons. First of all, Scott is not just solely, solely employed by Spooky Pinball. He actually has another job where I believe he works. Uh, It's a pinball-based company that he works for. Scott is contracted out to do those, and right now we're not going to see Spooky Pinball even complete all the Rick and Mortys until sometime next year. So, therefore, it would be at least, most likely, a year and a half from right now. In fact, I'd be shocked if it was before the year 2022, before we saw Scott's next game. And we don't even know if the next game from Spooky will be from Scott or not. I mean, I hope that it is, because he's definitely my favorite Spooky designer. However, I think that there's probably going to be another Spooky before we get to see Scott. But, Scott, no matter whatever pinball machine you make next, buddy, I want to try it. Now... The tiny asterisk I had here was that although uh, Rick and Morty is very beloved and people enjoy it, and, I mean, it looks incredible. The art is just, gosh darn it, beautiful. The sound is great. The shots are fun. There's that interesting Denisi lock, which is another. It's very similar. It's like a horseshoe plus a Denisi lock, so it's almost like a Denisi lock 2.0. In fact, I believe that's what they called it. There is a tiny asterisk, you know, in a hundred years down the road from now, when all anyone can talk about is how incredible Scott Denisi's games are, there might be a tiny asterisk that says that there's at least one shot, that outside orbit shot from the upper right flipper. Uh, that's a little clunky, I hear. Now, Carl D'Angelo on the IE Pinball Twitch stream was able to tune that in, and I watched him be able to hit it fairly fairly well fairly consistently anyways not every time it would rattle around and and not get all the way around all the time but Carl is a far better player than most of us pinball nerds and just because Carl can do it doesn't mean we can that being said I still really want to flip it I haven't even got to flip it yet that's right because of pandemic and me moving across the country and no one on the east coast of Canada owning a Rick and Morty someone out here buy a Rick and Morty I want to play come on but let's move on to our designer number two Top three young guns. These are not in any order, by the way. These are just basically how I thought of them when I was coming up with it. So the next young gun designer is Mr. Keith Elowin. Now, I was already Keith Elwin's biggest fan before he ever made his first pinball machine. I absolutely love competitive pinball, and uh, for those of you who have heard me on my other pinball podcast, more of an audio blog, but it's called the Pinball Nerds Podcast, and I quite often, I think 50 of the first 100 shows I did were all just talking about going to competitions, watching competitions, talking about how to do better competitive play. And many of you pinball nerds who did hear the last episode of Top 3 with Orby, which was talking about the top three weird, wild, and wacky ways to nudge better, um, you know how much I love competitive pinball and how much I'm constantly trying to get better. Well, one thing that's very evident when you watch Keith Elowin play pinball is something that's evident when you see his games. He doesn't do things the regular way, ever. He does things his own way, Okay. I'm not going to quite break out into song here, but, uh, you know, he goes his own way and he does things very differently. And something that I think that is becoming a little bit of a trend here, I know he's only three games in, we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, the numbers speak for themselves, but I think he's bringing back a lot of things in pinball that were stagnant and that needed refreshed, re-energized, and those included the pops. I actually had written out an episode Uh, that was entitled Bring Back Pops or Make Pops Important Again, right? Because I feel like they're they're not that important anymore. A lot of pinball designers seem to just throw three at the top and, you know, hitting the ball into the pops doesn't seem to come into play that often. Um, I mean, I use the pops on The Sopranos. The Sopranos is the last stern pinball machine that made pop bumpers important, and that was in The Sopranos when you're trying to get Party with the Bing. I think that was an early 2000s game. Now in Iron Maiden, you had that pop, that shot on the left. I usually love hitting ramps, but that's my least favorite Elo and ramp to hit because I couldn't cleanly hit it through the, the pops hardly ever. I think on average it would take three or four shots. However, many people don't love the shot through the pops on on Jurassic Park. I actually really like that shot. I find it challenging. But once you tune into it, you really can start nailing it. And of course, on the Avengers, there is the Sanctum shot, uh, his newest pinball machine, which looks incredible, by the way, has... I don't want to say it because I haven't even played it yet, but it looks like there's more innovation on the Avengers Infinity Quest pinball machine than there was even on Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park had more innovation than even Iron Maiden, and Iron Maiden had more innovation than any machine in a long time. In fact, other than Total Nuclear Annihilation, Iron Maiden was the first machine to have more than two flippers, because TNA only had three, and Iron Maiden had four, including a mini-flip. But the first one that I could tell by looking on the Stern website, the, the first pinball machine by Stern anyways, uh, to have more than two flippers all the way back since Spider-Man. So that was a long, long time before that. Now that being said, Game of Thrones did have one of its versions has a mini playfield with two extra flips. So I'm suggesting just, I guess, on the main level, without having a mini playfield or a playfield underneath. Um, And of course, what does that do for us? That just gives us more and more and more shots. So if you think of just that top upper left flipper, that little mini flip on Iron Maiden you can use that to smash into the captive ball there, which I love doing that shot. Don't know why I love it so much. It's just very rewarding. You have to hit it at the, just as soon as it gets to the very start of the upper left flipper. And then if you're very skilled, I've seen it in competition once or twice. I've done it purposely maybe once. I've probably done it 10 times accidentally, accidentally but hopefully at least once on purpose, where you can somehow sort of shake that ball up that ramp By ricocheting the ball. So the main ramp in the very center with the very target back behind it on Iron Maiden. You can actually get it up that ramp. Very clumsily, very clunkily. But you can, on some pinball machines, get it up that ramp from there. So that's a second shot. Then you've got the two little inner looping shots. And then you've got the three drop targets. And that's something that I feel like was sorely missed. Until The Walking Dead came out. I was like, why are drop targets no longer important? Drop targets used to be the most important thing. And I, for one, have been very vocal about not liking those long stand-up banks. There's, I love seeing it go down and come back up. And spinners. So now you've got drop targets, spinners... Keith Elwin makes spinners important again. He has had no machine without a spinner. They seem to be getting more relevant and more important. The Hulk spinner seems to be really important to making progression and doing things, of course, in Avengers. And so now, not only has Keith Elwin made drop targets important again, because they're so important on on, um, Iron Maiden... And he's brought them back and made them even more important for the Avengers. And then, of course, he's made spinners more relevant. We've got two spinners. Two spinners just on the Pro. When was the last time a Pro had two spinners? I have no clue. Um, And then he's made captive balls more important. And I absolutely love captive balls. In fact, on Fireball Classic, my favorite shot is the captive ball. And I want to see more pinball developers doing more with captive balls um the last time i really saw anything innovative with a captive ball was the captive ball that was inside indiana jones by stern that came out in the early 2000s the captive ball gives you kinetic pleasure but you also don't need to hit it with as cleanly as you would with say like a ramp shot or a really nice orbit to get it to go all the way around you basically can you know a captive ball you can hit from any side and it works and that's something that's interesting because now the captive ball shot, unlike the gauntlet ramp, which is very revolutionary by Keith Elwin, which we'll talk about in a second, the captive ball is a shot that can be hit from absolutely everywhere. And the gauntlet ramp can be hit from from all three flippers. Of course, you've got to hit it clean and from the right spot on the flipper. Whereas by throwing a captive ball in, in around, you know, lower on the Avengers, of course, where it is, um, you could probably hit that even with not the cleanest shot. And I just like watching a ball hit another ball, see the kinetic energy transfer, and watch it go up and do its thing. Um, In the case of Fireball Classic, if you do not hit that, if you don't hit it super clean, it won't register or count, whereas with Iron Maiden, that captive ball up there, you didn't have to hit it that clean. And I really, really, really think that Keith does a great job at bringing back all of the basics while keeping them innovative and new and fresh and clean and different. And the last thing I'll talk about, this one, I actually kind of stole this one. Um, All the ones I just said there, I had thought of long before I had heard other people talk about this, long before I'd even seen Avengers, okay? But Raymond Davidson was most recently on the Final Round Pinball podcast, right here on the Pinball Network, Uh, Of course, with Jeff Teolis and Marty Robbins. And Raymond Davidson had brought up something I hadn't even thought of. He had said that something that he's noticed is that Keith Elwin likes to have an interesting, different, and unique plunge. And when you think of how you plunge the ball and what happens to it, on all three of his machines, it's just different than what was happening at Stern and many of the other pinball manufacturers for years. It was typically plunge. And then move, you know, use your flipper to move it to the right lane and let it fall through one of the three lanes. Now, of course, that's something that is included in 1979's Jungle Princess uh, by Ed Krinsky, by the way. On that particular machine, on Jungle Princess, when we're taking a look at, you know, those top lanes, it's so, so, so important on there that you get it in a certain lane. So this is something that's been around for three or four decades. Thank you, Thank you. And Elwin, we trust. Thank you for changing up that plunge. Because plunging was getting really boring and stagnant. And they're, you know, the odd pinball machine, they change it up slightly. I know with Skateball, which is not only one of my favorite pinball machines of all time, but it's also one of Keith Elwin's favorite pinball machines. Mm-hmm. That was one of the ones where they changed up the plunge. And I remember mentioning in chat once, uh, while speaking with Keith Elwyn, he's very, very humble, very kind very you know nice guy to speak with you wouldn't know he is the greatest of all time pinball player and possibly greatest of all time pinball designer by speaking to him on twitch but something he said is that he still has skateball because his name on twitch is sk the number eight ball Uh, so if you ever see that not underscore 27 or not you know nothing else just skateball if you see that it's most likely Keith Elwin or someone pretending to be him um, or a friend or family member signed in under his account. I don't know. I'm 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 99 to 100% sure that's Keith. So I asked him once in chat. I said, oh my gosh, I love Skateball. It's my favorite machine. Do you actually own one? He said, yes. In fact, I still own it. Now, this was going back possibly up to a year ago. I don't exactly remember when. I'm not sure if Keith still owns it. But something I had mentioned on my other podcast was that It looks to me like Keith is heavily influenced by skateboarding because if you think about Iron Maiden, it's got that jumping ramp. And then you think about the plunge that you have on Jurassic Park and it does like that full kind of like looping 180 like that. As if you're going through a corkscrew, right? Like if you were on a skateboard or a BMX and you were kind of doing a trick like that. But... What confirmed it for me was seeing Avengers. When you see Avengers and the way... Keith was talking about how when you were hitting that ramp, it wouldn't quite get out and around from the upper flipper. And kind of when you're backhanding it from the bottom right one, it kind of would clunk around. It was hard to get around there. So he thought of beveling out the edges. I don't know if that's the right word, but kind of contouring it. So when you look at any skateboard park on the planet or anywhere really good that people like to skate, like a pool or anything like that, or something that mimics a pool at a skate park, or even a quarter pipe or a half pipe, You'll always see the edges are contoured and that's so you can keep your speed up and so that you can get around the corner and you don't have to stop and go down and push. And of course, they beveled this much like you would to keep a skateboard moving quicker through a corner or in an obstacle or in a course or with many of you uh, who have been playing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater uh recently no. you want to keep your speed going so you can keep doing tricks without having to stop and push or stop and go the other direction it's flow so this gauntlet ramp is not only revolutionary because you can hit it from all the sides it's the first ramp that i can think of that's kind of beveled to allow it to go up on the sides and to kind of hug the corner i think we're going to see more of that uh not only did tmnt make it uh or sorry Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles does have co-op mob, but not only did TNA make co-op a a thing in the future that I think we're going to see way, way, way more often. I think that Keef's new gauntlet ramp is something that you're going to see incredible pinball designers in the future really take advantage of. Now, I don't know if it's been copywritten or not. Maybe they'll have to bevel the edges slightly different or something like that. I, I don't necessarily want people copying each other in pinball, but isn't it nice that every pinball designer nowadays can take the best of what used to be awesome and make it all new again? I certainly think so. Okay, let's move on to number three. And number three, le- or sorry, last but certainly not least, is Eric Minier. Uh, and I, if I'm apologizing your name wrong, I I'm sorry, Eric. Uh, that's how we would pronounce it here in Canada. And of course, I'm Canadian, eh? So that's how I would pronounce it when I'm going about it. About it? About it? Is that what we're supposed to say? About it. About it? Eric is a really, really, really cool guy. I feel like I know Eric on a pretty good... Of all the designers, I felt like I knew him the least until last year I started watching him on Twitch. He has his own Twitch channel. And this isn't like just for the live stream of a new machine and you've got the whole team there. No, this is just like you and Eric hanging out in his basement with some awesome craft beer. So his Twitch channel... Now, he hasn't streamed in about three months, but I suspect... I don't like to do rumors. I suspect he might be busy working on a new game for Jersey Jack because it's about time for us to see a new machine because it's been that long since his first revolutionary machine Pirates, which we will talk about in a second. But uh, his Twitch name is Hogbogged, so I'm going to spell that for you. It's capital H-O-G-B-O-G-G-E-D. Um, Go follow him on there. Shockingly, he only has like 200 followers. I basically have the same number of followers as him and I haven't even streamed in a year, and I had only streamed like a dozen times before that, so shockingly, I don't know how, I don't think that he, well, he doesn't have a pinball podcast where he's done 400 episodes giving shoutouts to his Twitch channel, of course. Uh, By the way, follow me on Twitch, Pinball Nerds Podcast, all lowercase if you haven't, because I've started to stream again. I recently just got to stream with uh, the dude who's awesome enough to do all the social media for TPN, uh, at least as far as Facebook goes, I'm pretty sure he does it, and that's Mr. David Dennis, and I got to stream... Stream a little bit of Tron and Simpsons pinball party. But let's go back to Eric for a second. I There were some times when there was like only four or five of us in chat, and I was shocked. And there was even more times when I was the only one speaking with Eric, and I feel like I got to know him better, uh, you know, on an outside level. Now, it's not like Eric was giving away information about his next game. I have no teasers for you. I can tell you nothing. I don't know if it will have... You know, a triple spinning disc like he wanted to put in Pirates, but I think it would be cool to see that. And Eric, much like Scott DeNisi and Keith Elwin, he likes to do things differently. And he likes to push the boundaries. And the very first prototype of the Pirates of the Caribbean, which was Eric's uh, first machine, his masterpiece, it actually did Uh, have a triple spinning disc. So imagine three discs, all spinning the different directions. Now, of course, for one reason or another, this didn't work out. But it doesn't mean you can't commend the guy for trying to do something so unique and different on his very first machine. Now, when I'm thinking about this machine of Pirates, I'm thinking about how it is deeper than even Zach Menny's love for toppers. That's right, you heard it here first on Top 3 with Orby. I mean, there's 20 characters. We all know how deep the machine is. There's 20 different characters. You can pillage and plunge and steal other people's gold. And there's all these different, neat, unique rule sets that you don't see before. Possibly, and perhaps the only negative of playing this game, is that when you're playing it in competition, unless it's set up very, very, very hard, it can run long. In fact, I remember a tournament I was playing in Toronto on it, And I had never, ever, ever played before. And on my first ball... Oh, that's not true. I had actually played a practice ball or two before the tournament. But my first full game, my first competitive game, my second ball ran so long, I think I was at 300 and something... million which isn't actually that much on that machine many people can blow that up in a short game more than that but for a guy who didn't know what he was doing i'm not sure who even of the 20 i picked i had read and heard hardly nothing about it and maybe only seen it streamed on buffalo pinball a little uh at the time but it ran long and in a match play event when you're all waiting i noticed that oh Pirates of the Caribbean, running long again. Oh, and it was like two out of three rounds, it seemed like Pirates of the Caribbean was holding us all back. Now, that being said, Pirates had just got there, so maybe they hadn't had time to do many adjustments. Maybe the, uh, you know, it wasn't set at the right angle or the right tilt to make it fast enough. Um, Or, you know, just maybe... It's a really cool, fun machine that plays a little bit longer, and there's nothing wrong with that, other than in competition, you're maybe going to have to go out of your way to set it up a little bit harder, so that it's not always the last game being played in match play, right? So now, there was some people who did not like Pirates, and they did not like Pirates for a couple simple reasons. First of all, a lot of people thought it was too deep, and arguably trying to memorize advantages and disadvantages of 20 characters, probably a bit much, probably something you're not going to see in the future, maybe like five, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, four or five, you know what I mean? Well, there's there's four Ninja Turtles, but you know what I mean? But Anything past like five characters, you're trying to memorize different stuff that you can play probably going to... It's probably too much. It's probably too much for 90% of the pinball nerds on the planet. There's that 10% that are just... They eat, sleep, and breathe pinball even more than Keith, Scott, and Eric. So, all I have to say about Pirates of the Caribbean is that it's Eric's first game and at This Week in Pinball's Twippies Awards, it won Best Light Show, Best Theme Integration, best animations, and best toys and gimmicks. And I'm here to say, I've said it before, and I'll never stop saying it, unless Eric's new machine has something even more rad than this. But the mini playfield that's also a boat on pirates, that has all those different shots and things going on up there, is so interesting, fun, revolutionary. Maybe don't play... I remember playing it after having a couple beers one time, and you get a little sick, you know, it's left and right and left and right. And you'll find your head kind of going left and right with the bobbing of the boat to try to trying to hit shots. When the whole play field's going left and right is just extremely hard yet fun. And I'm sorry, Christopher Franchi. I know it's not your favorite word, but it's just so satisfying when you're actually hitting shots up there on that little mini play field with it rocking back and forth and back and forth whatever Eric's next game is I couldn't be more stoked for it I couldn't be more interested to see what innovations he's going to do and have something that's similar between all of these guys is and that you're going to see in the future just to just to summarize this a little bit they all like to have more than two flippers and uh, I've actually found that since this started happening you'll notice not many pinball machines don't now Jersey Jack did kind of start this trend Uh, or bring it back, I should say, with Wizard of Oz, and They also made light shows really cool, even though I think Scott Denise's kind of changed it up a little bit. So I do want to give Jersey Jack a, a little bit of, you know, credit here where credit's due, because they have done a lot of revolutionary things. But the same way that I believe Jersey Jack coming into the pinball game made Stern step up their game, I actually believe these three new young gun pinball designers have made all of the older pinball designers step up their game and maybe think outside of the box a little bit more and say... You know what can we do with our plunge? How can we make the pops great again? How can we make a ramp look really cool and kind of different than just you know the regular rampsy way it was forever? Can we make wire forms? That's certainly something Eloise's known for. Some people would even say maybe there's too many wire forms on Avengers. I don't know how that's possible because to me wire forms look about a hundred times more purdy than uh, you know just a plastic ball return. And why would you not use it? I mean, they're going to last longer. They look better. You don't have to worry about them getting scratched or going pale. They're incredible. But here's something that they all three have in common, and I think this is their secret sauce. So if you're someone who wants to make a pinball machine in the future, get out your notepad, get out your markers, your crayons, your highlighters, whatever you're going to do, and start taking notes, rate, meow. So all three of these guys are not only humble, kind, funny and extremely passionate about pinball, but they they're rule breakers. They want to push boundaries. They want to do something unique. They want to do something different. They want to maybe take elements that were great about pinball in the 80s and 90s and make them important again as well. To put a little bow on this show, I will tell you the number one thing that I think these three guys have come into the pinball world and done they have not only reinvigorated and energized older pinball players and got them back more into pinball but what he's primarily what these players have primarily done is they have helped get ready to have a whole new wave of pinball designers who are completely different and unique and i think if you're someone young coming up through the ranks like a jared august or Well, I'm sure even Raymond Davidson was excited to see that, you know, Keith Elwin had got into Stern and was doing things there, but also even like Escher Lefkoff. If you're an up-and-coming pinball player, competitive pinball player, to see what Keith Elwin has done, to see what Scott DeNisi has done, not even coming from really a competitive pinball background, to see what Eric Minier did with probably perhaps the best toy in all pinball on his first machine, that lets them know, hey, if these guys can do it, then maybe I have a shot too. And that means that because of what these three gentlemen have done, a a hobby, which has been around, eh, arguably the first electromechanical pinball machine was Humpty Dumpty, which came out in 1947. We're talking about three quarters of a century, a three quarters of a century old hobby. Now you think of any old hobbies that have been around for three quarters of a century. I don't know, off the top of my head, lawn bowling. Lawn bowling hasn't seen a lot of innovations lately. Not that there's anything wrong with lawn bowling. In fact, I even did it with a group of friends once, more so as a joke. But it was fun, as long as you had a couple beers with you. And, uh, you know, there's not very many hobbies that have been out since 1947 that went almost a whole decade without seeing very many innovations or anything really new. And then, boom, all of a sudden got hit with this resurgence, this new energy. And this is one of those things. This is one of those times We, All of us here listening to this get to be present for what's happening in pinball right now. And pinball is forever changed for the future because of this. And I hope another three-quarter century from now, another 75 years from now, in the year 2105, that there is pinball designers out there saying, you know what, if it wasn't for Eric, Elwin, and Scott... I may not have became a pinball designer, and pinball just might have been forgotten about. But because of these rad dudes, pinball will not be forgotten about.